Welcome to Thursday Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name is Jesse Ott, the host of this podcast, which is all about beverage innovation. I talk with innovation pioneers from agriculture to glass. This week, I'm speaking with Tony Abu Gammon, one of the pioneering and leading bar professionals in the world. First and foremost, Tony is a genuine person and loves his craft more than most I've ever met. He's a sincere and generous person and loves to give back through the organizations he's created and still a part of today. His career started out by learning the tradition of classic cocktails and professional barmanship from his cousin Helen David at the Brass Rail Bar in Port Huron, Michigan. He then moved to NYC in the early 1990s and Dale DeGroff presented him the first menu of drinks at the Rainbow Room. This is where a handful of icons in our industry began their passion for making cocktails with original and fresh ingredients, igniting the fire behind the modern day cocktail culture. Tony has had an amazing career over the years since then and has been a part of several iconic places and TV shows, including the Starlight Room in San Francisco, Bellagio, Caesars Palace, Levy Restaurants, as well as several arenas such as the Western Conference Champions Vegas Golden Knights hockey team. He also won three Iron Chef America competitions and won the Bacardi Martini World Grand Prix in 2002. He has written books, created DVDs, and his own brand of bar tools designed specifically for the art of making the best cocktails. He was part of a team that created the TAG Global Spirits Awards, is a national ambassador of the Bartenders Guild, and associate member of the Museum of the American Cocktail. Tony's love for making cocktails is infectious and inspiring to all he meets. We make two cocktails on the podcast. The first is the Pisco Sour, made with La Madrina Pisco Torontel from Peru. It was truly delicious. Our second cocktail is Tony's signature drink, the Negroni, made with Capari and his preferred Ford's gin, which is my first time ever to have a Negroni with Tony, and we both each made our own cocktail. It was a very cool and memorable experience. Thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe to be notified of all new episodes. Welcome to Thursday Thursday. My name is Jesse Ott, and I have Tony Abu Ganem here with the Modern Mixologist. He's the creator of Bar Tools and author of The Modern Mixologist, as well as a pioneer and leading global bar professional and founder of the TAG Global Spirits Awards. And there's so much more to that uh, I can't wait to get to. I don't know if I'll have enough time, but uh, that's, that's a lot. And uh, Tony, I can't, I'm so excited that you're here and spending time with me today. Jesse, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, we're going to get to know each other and hopefully drink a cocktail or two together. Yes, that's, I can't wait. This is going to be so much fun. So where are you calling from today? I'm here in my home, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, just okay. beautiful day. The weather has been spectacular. Usually we're over 100 degrees by now and we're, we're toying with that number, but it's just been beautiful blue skies. And, you know, I'm a bicycle that's, rider, so yeah. it's been perfect bike riding weather. That's great. How far do you normally ride? Uh, all depends on time because Jesse, one thing I'm not is fast. Uh, I've got to have some time, <laughs> but I live right outside of Red Rock. So a beautiful riding in my back uh, yard. So it's, uh, I'll go 20 to 40 miles depending on how much time I have. Yeah. I used to ride that much. Um, I trained for, uh, what do you call them? Mini triathlons ah. in my thirties. <laughs> I don't do that anymore, <laughs> I... but that's great. Cycling's awesome. 
Yeah, I don't know if uh, I mentioned it to you, but I founded the Helen David Relief Fund. It's a charity yeah. that it's USBG benefiting bartenders going through cancer treatment. And one of our big things, fundraisers and awareness raisers, is Team Negroni, Team Happiness, which uh, we had at our top 24 cities that did a 40-mile ride to raise, uh, like I said, funds and awareness for the Helen David during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is, as you know, October. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's fantastic. Have to get you out of retirement and back on the bike. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'd do that in a heartbeat. I'd just be slow. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's awesome. So yeah, let's talk about Helen. So let's talk about where it all began. Well, as you, Helen David opened the Brass Rail Bar in Port Huron, Michigan in 1937 with her mother. That's awesome. As you know. so cool. Oh, well, it was the Great Depression. Um, her father died and left them an ice cream parlor. So you can imagine the little money people did have wasn't going to an ice cream sundae. Yeah. And Helen's mom said, Helen, if we don't turn the ice cream parlor into a saloon, we're going to be put out on the street. And Helen said, Mom, proper ladies don't run saloons. And her mother, <laughs> her mother replied, a lady is a lady no matter where you put her, but she's got to have a buck in her pocket. And, I love uh, that. Helen ran that bar for almost 70 years. And during her life, she survived breast cancer twice. So mm -hmm. in her memory, I've started the Helen David Relief Fund. Yeah, so she's certainly a, an icon for you and and your community and where it, she comes from. She sounds like she's, she, my mom's name is Helen and she kind of reminds me from what I read a little bit about uh, my mom. They're um, kind of witty and fun and love, love to have fun and, and are tough and, you know, aren't afraid to roll up their sleeves and get to work and do what's, do what you got to do. Yeah. She was quite a lady. And um, one of the great honors I think that have been placed on her memory is that tales of the cocktail, for the Spirited Awards, the Lifetime Achievement is awarded in Helen's name. So I'm That's sure she's really looking cool. down and she's probably quite proud of that. So do you remember the first time you made a cocktail in that bar where you were like, yes, this is for me? Was there any big moment? Well, you got to remember 1980, Jesse, cocktails were kind of... Uh, suffering and it wasn't the greatest time behind the bar helen's bar was a classic bar so i did learn you know the grasshopper the golden cadillac uh, an old-fashioned i mean all those classic drinks the tom collins and the frosted collins glass with the little monkey that hung on the side uh, but the first drink that i remember was a drink i made for helen and it was a b and b helen lived upstairs so she would go out for dinner or out with her girlfriends and come back to the bar, sit at the bar, check in, see how the night was before she went up to her apartment. And she'd like to have a nightcap, and it was a and b and not the bottle B&B, but where you would actually take Benedictine and then on a bar spoon float the cognac on top in a little Puscafé glass. That's cool. <laughs> so that was my probably my best memory of my first cocktail experience. Wow, that's that's pretty awesome. So did I read, too, that you had some family, other family members that worked there? Pretty much the entire family on my dad's side, other than my dad actually worked at the bar. Uh, my cousin, Tony, who I'm named for, my cousin Maroon, my uncle Saul, my uncle Charlie, my dad's brother. Um, my mom's side of the family was a bakery. So uh, running around my house, I was a chubby little drunk kid. <laughs> <laughs> you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> Jelly filled donuts and uh, cold beer. It was. Uh, 
Gee, I'm joking about the beer, but uh, I did as a young kid, you know, go to the bar and fill the cooler with bar, uh, beer bottles. And, you know, it was just, some of my earliest memories are of that beautiful bar. Is it still around? It's still around. Um, unfortunately, my cousin Maroon passed unexpectedly and the bar has been sold. But um, who knows with the future? I, I'd love to see it come back into the family. You know, it's been, like I said, almost 85 years. So it's been yeah. been around a long time. But right now it, it is still around, but unfortunately not in our family. In the family at the moment. And that's in Michigan, correct? Yep, Poirier, Michigan, uh, right on the Sarnia, Ontario border. So I grew up, uh, well, my earliest memories of, of rye was not American straight rye, but Canadian blended rye or yeah, blended whiskey. Uh, it was always yeah. referred to rye and ginger. And that was really, that era was the era of the highball. And we had virtually every blended Canadian, blended American whiskey at the bar and uh really highballs were the, were the main draw. Okay. So what made you leave the bar? Where did you go? Well, I, you know, I, back in 1980, you know, when you told some, they say, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a bartender. I'd get all excited. And they say, oh, that's great. Well, what do you want to do? Because, you know, aspiring to be a professional bartender really wasn't one of the culinary arts in the 1980s. Even that's Helen... True. She wanted to send me to culinary school to become a chef. Um, but so I, I said, all right, I'll go back to school. I, uh, I got a business degree. I worked as a stockbroker for a short time. And I always did theater. And I, I said, you know, I'm, the stockbroker thing just isn't working out for me. So I. That's it, tough. I, it, yeah, you know, it just wasn't my jam. You know, I, I love the yeah. market and I'm understanding it, but um, to, not really a salesperson. So. Understand what you're saying. <laughs> you know, even when I worked as a st uh, stockbroker Monday through Friday on the weekends, I worked in a little jazz bar, and it was I love I looked forward to the weekends so much. You know, not because I wasn't working, because I was working, uh, but in a different capacity. And I said, you know, I love theater, I love bartending. Let's just commit to that. And uh, so. My theater career was going along really well. I don't know if you recognize me, but in 1993, I was the Alka-Seltzer Plus cold and flu guy. No, uh -uh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it still out there? Can I Google it? <laughs> Some people tell me, I found your commercial. It was, uh, yeah. And I moved to New York City that year because I thought, well, I'm the Alka-Seltzer Plus guy. You know, uh, what's next? Broadway. Of course. It's uh, happening now. Broadway didn't happen. Um, but I did meet Dale DeGroff at the Rainbow Room in 1993, which was really a life-changing interaction um, because like I said, that was just kind of the tipping point of where we were going, where we're at today, that um, fresh juices were starting to be used again and the resurrection of lost and forgotten classic cocktails and bartenders actually creating their own drinks. Um, None of that really existed much. I mean, really, until I went to the Rainbow Room in 93 and Dale presented me with a, a, a menu of drinks. I was like, God, I haven't seen really a menu dedicated to cocktails. So that was really right. uh, kind of a, you know, a changing aha moment for me. Uh, two years later, Harry Denton was taking over the Starlight Room back in San Francisco, offered me a job. So I said, well, New York's been fine, but I'm going to go back to 
San Francisco, and I joined that team uh, with Harry and reopened the Starlight Room. Was there from 95 to 98. Through that, I started writing menus and creating drinks and getting a little bit of attention, enough so that Steve Wynn got wind of me and brought me here to Las Vegas to do the program at Bellagio. And I've been That's here ever since. Yeah. And I, right place, right time. And I think just the right passion for this profession. You right. couldn't have mapped it out. It was just happening organically. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody had a crystal ball that thought, you know, bars are going to have 20 different types of bitters and, you know, esoteric ingredients right. and bringing back <laughs> Violette. And I mean, none, there was none of that. Like I said, if you, if you squeezed a fresh lime into a margarita, that was pretty cutting edge. Um, and I still right. think, you know, a great margarita is tough to beat. You know, when you make it with, you know, like a pisco sour, one of my favorite drinks that, and I don't know, Jesse, why more people don't serve pisco sours. No, you know, I don't either. They're awesome. I've never made one for someone who said, oh, this is like drinking a pillow. It's just lovely. It's just so easy to drink. I know. And I've got from the Tag Global Spirits Awards, this is this year's best of show. Uh, overall Peruvian Pisco, um, one of a great new producer, uh, La Madrina. Uh, this is the Torrentel. The Torrentel is, as you know, in Peru, you can use eight different grape varietals. Four of them are non-aromatic, uh, Quimbranta being the most popular non-aromatic grape, uh, and then four aromatic grapes. And Torrentel, which I think if I had to pick one, is my favorite grape. It's just so lovely uh, on its own, um, but definitely in a Pisco Sour. So I've is got it all that. Is it more citrusy or flower? Floral, or? yeah, floral. It's, um, you know, I've got, I've got to send you some of these glasses too, Jesse. These are the glasses we designed for the TAG Global Spirits Awards. It's a universal spirits glass. So it works okay. wonderfully with Pisco as it would with tequila, as it would with, Bourbon, um, yeah, they're just, uh, we, when we started the awards three and a half years ago, we sat down with all the tasting glasses, grappa glasses, tequila glasses, sherry glass, everything we could get our hands on. And we said, well, we, we like this for this, and we like this, and we took little elements from each and worked with Rona Glassware to, to design this glass. So um, That's really cool. So that's the, um, kind of like your official tasting? Yeah. Uh, this design? It's the Tag Universal cool. Spirits glass. Um, that's so, really cool. Oh yeah, so right that's... away you get all that that beautiful floral notes. There's there's okay. citrus notes. Now you have a different piece go there today that you're working with, right? Yeah, I didn't have that one at my local um, total, so I picked this one up, the that's... Caravito. And is that is that a puro, an individual grape, or is that a, a blend? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here, Jesse. I know. I, I, sh I didn't prepare for this this question. <laughs> Let me see if okay. it says on the bottle. Uh, they make a Torrentel also that is absolutely gorgeous. It's a beautiful uh, expression. Oh, this is the thing about people oh, that. Is... Go ahead. Oh, this is um, four, four grape varietals yep. known as alcohol. Acolado in Peru? Acolado. So Acolado. Acolado means simply means blend. 
So an okay. atolado would be a blend of two or more grapes, and it sounds like the one you have there is a blend of four grapes. So blend of four. It doesn't look like they say which ones they are, but they are estate-grown grapes, which is pretty cool. Now, like I said, there's eight different varietals that you can use. Um, oh, this is just. I was going to say, Jesse, that you can enjoy Pisco on its own. I mean, after all, there's a brandy. It's a great brandy. It doesn't see any aging by law. Um, and the beautiful thing is it's a single distillation, and you can't add anything to Peruvian Pisco, not even water. So it's distilled oh, wow. proof, yeah. But it works beautifully like this, but it also works beautifully in a Pisco sour. Yeah, this is amazing. I, I really like this. I got introduced to this one about 10 years ago from a friend of mine and we usually have some around and we'll, we'll make one every once in a while, but, um, yeah, that's really, really good. It's very smooth. And it's it just, more floral, I think, than citrus. Yeah, it's definitely more floral. I'm the aromatics yeah. on it. Even the non-aromatic yeah. grape varietals are very aromatic. Uh, so it's kind of a disowner or dis doesn't really do it. Credit. So should we mix up a drink with it? I'm, uh, yeah, let's I'm do this. Here. Uh, I'm uh, super excited. And the other thing that is about the Pisco Sour, it's ingredients that every bar has. So you're not bringing in anything special. You're making a simple syrup. You're using fresh lime juice, little egg white, Angostura bitters, and the Pisco of your choice. It follows that basic sweet and sour recipe that all sours adhere to. I, I do a two one one makes it real simple. So two parts strong, one part sour, one part sweet, and then the egg. Uh, and then all you need is a Boston shaker. Are you a are you a glass on tin person or are you a tin on tin? Well, don't make fun of me. I do have this, but I always get it stuck. So I'm hoping <laughs> that that doesn't happen. And then I've got the cheater one. All right. Well, let's 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 use the the Boston shaker together, okay. and I'll walk you through it. So hopefully it won't get stuck. And um, this is yeah. from my line, and I, I need to send you some of my tools, Jesse. You got to have no, I great tools. Definitely need to get better bar tools. Hundred percent. I was going to talk to you, but I got to get some of those. I'll I'll take care of you. This is a, my Boston set. It's a heavy weighted okay. brushed stainless steel. 26 ounce mixing tin with the 16 ounce mixing glass. And I don't know if you can see that, Jesse, but I etched mm -hmm. the measurements on the glass. So Perfect. if you don't have a jigger, you can then just measure against the glass and free pour it that way. Uh, so what help with speed, you know? Yeah. I, and, yeah. you know, it's, it is an exact science, but it's also um, a little fun to kind of just, Free pour. So I, I love using the jigger when I need to be really precise. Otherwise, um, I just go ahead and pour it into the glass and measure against the glass. And that's probably 40 plus years of training. Um, so when you pick out your limes, when you go to the grocery store and they're, you know, three for a dollar or two for a dollar, that everything's so expensive now. I know. You're 75 cents in Florida. Oh wow! Um, and don't That's they crazy. grow down there? <laughs> they're 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 it's under attack. They're dying. Um, they can't. Yeah, it's bad. 
Anyway, so you, then so, definitely you want to pick out the right limes. You want to pick out one that has a nice dark green color that is soft and pliable to the touch, has a thin skin, and a little tip, uh, don't refrigerate your limes before you squeeze them. You want to have them out at room temperature. Cold citrus in general will be a little more stingy with the juice. So room temperature. Um, I always squeeze my limes a la minute because limes are the most fragile of all citrus. So using the modern mixologist handheld lime squeezer, we'll go ahead and just squeeze that right into the glass. Now lime that size, you would refer to it as a 220, 240 lime, which means 220 limes to a case, is going to yield you almost to the drop one ounce of juice. So, oh, wow. So I you, need to put the whole lime in? The whole lime, and that is, yeah, that's right at one ounce. So like this much? That looks like a little bit more. Do you have a, a jigger there to measure? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So you just want... Just make sure it's equal parts lime to simple. And simple I, okay. you know, is called simple because it's so simple to make. It's just one part water, one part sugar. Bring the water to a boil, dissolve the sugar. You're good to go. I love yeah, working. I made mine this morning. Yeah, I love working with simple because if you follow that recipe every time, um, and if you just add hot water to sugar in a bottle, the ratio's off, off and off. So I always measure individually, bring the water to a boil, dissolve the sugar, let it cool, bottle it, it'll last a month. And it's consistent this way. It adds volume and texture to your drink that you don't get from granulated sugar. Granulated sugar or sugar cubes don't dissolve well in alcohol or in cold. So you get a consistent drink throughout. All right, so now we wanna add our egg white. And I've just got a fresh egg here. Usually I say a, a heaping tablespoon per drink. So one small egg white. It looks like this is one ounce, so I guess that's, that's right on. Perfect, yep, that, that'll okay. be perfect. And then we'll add our two ounces of Pisco. Okay. Do you have your glass in the, uh, in the freezer, chilling? No, but you know, when I make my martinis, I usually, I put ice water in them before. Yeah. I, I always, you know, cold drink, cold glass, just to maintain the integrity of the drink, always okay. a cold vessel. And they just, when they are in the freezer, well, I'll show you here. I'll grab mine out of the freezer. It's a beautiful coupe. Um, and it just comes out. I mean, it's so sexy. Nice and frosted. It just you, you can't quite get that look by chilling the glass with ice and water, but no, that's the second right. best. Speaking of ice, we'll do that. We want to use nice big hard one by one cubes that hard cold dry ice so that we don't over dilute the drink. And okay. fill your mixing tin up about oh, about two thirds of the way. Little thing, little fact, more ice, less dilution, as long as it's hard, cold, dry ice. Um, a lot of times people will dry shake a yeah. drink that has egg white in it. I find if you have great ice and you shake vigorously, you don't, you can skip that. All right. So now the way it works, so hopefully it won't get stuck this time. 
is we now we transfer the liquid from the mixing glass into our ice-filled mixing tin. And here's the key. When a slight angle, twist, pop, and you make the seal. You see how I have a slight angle? And right yeah. here where it starts to concave. Like, kind of like that? Yep, and twist. Is that a, does that fit? Maybe that's your, yeah. okay. And it then probably is <laughs> And it shouldn't come apart. And then always shake with the oh, tin, tin forward. Okay. And when Harry Craddock in the Savoy cocktail book was asked the proper way to shake a cocktail, he said, you want yeah. to shake the shaker as hard as you can. You want to wake the drink up, not rock it to sleep. So let's wake it up. <laughs> let's wake it up. Ah, I love that sound. Okay, so now here comes the part where you maybe are stuck. Two fingers on the glass, two fingers on the tin. So okay. it's kind of facing me like okay. a microphone. And right there on the tin is the sweet spot. So with the palm of your hands, fingers raised to the sky, pop the sweet spot as hard as you can. Oh, and that it was comes, so great. Comes, <laughs> I wish I had known that it was became a party trick. Nobody <laughs> <could get along. laughs> comes right apart. All right. Now, using the Hawthorne strainer, which is a strainer with a spring, fits into the mixing tin, not the glass. Okay. Oh, look at that nice frothy egg on top. Give it a nice little shake just to get all of that egg white. Yeah, I'm... That's not too bad. Not bad at all, but it's not quite finished yet. Okay. We need to let it just settle for a second. Okay. And then what we're going to do, you have some Angostura bitters? I do. All right. I got some today. So what we want to do is we just want to then drop. Where am I here? I lost you. I've got a, here we go. Yep, I can see it now. All right, and we're just going to drop about five drops okay. onto the egg white. Okay. All right, nice. I'm using, I transferred my Ango into a little bitters bottle. Is there any particular reason that it's, um, Angostura from your, from your perspective? Well, it's the one that is most commonly available and okay. it's the closest to the Peruvian bitters that if you can, if you're in Peru, you should pick up a couple bottles because those are traditionally the bitters used. So now okay. I'm going to finish it. I have a little pick here and I'm going to just finish that. So I make hearts through the bitters. Mine looks like a big blob, Tony. I did not. I did not, <laughs> I did not get the artist in me. Out <laughs> I don't even know if you can see mine. It's, it's, oh, yeah, you can kind of see it. I oh, can see it. Looks, yeah. It doesn't look like mine. It does not look as pretty as yours with the hearts and. <laughs> Remember, whenever we taste, uh, enjoy a drink, 
uh, we enjoy it with all of our senses. And that's why I always consider the glassware, consider the visual, consider the aromatics, obviously the taste. And if we could raise our glasses, Jesse, and click them together, you take in the sound Excellent. of as well. So that's ah, the best sense. Happiness. Cheers. Oh. Oh, that's so good. I got to back up and kiss myself. That's so good. I agree. I got to get some of those bitters, though, this time. Mmm. Perfect wow, balance. That changes, that changes the drink. The bitters. Yeah. I mean, Just, there's two. With it, with it is, you know, a. a you know, for me, it would be that's how we make it. But with the bitters, it just adds a different dimension to it that I just didn't expect. It's it's really awesome and fun. I I, I mean, I look at bitters like salt and pepper. Um, they just add another element, like you said, another level of flavor of complexity. Um, if you make a Manhattan with and without bitters, and taste them side by side, you'll just see that the one with bitters is more interesting. It's more complex. There's more going on. The bitters, some, some people like to get a little heavy with the bitters. Uh, it's kind of like salt on a steak. Salt brings right. out the best of the steak, but it shouldn't taste salty. If that makes a, that's a good 100%. Oh. Yeah, that is a really good one. Yeah, I'm going to try that one more time because that's really good. Perfect breakfast drink here, Jess. I know. it's Well, it's almost noon here, but not for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, if you can find a bottle of this La Madrina Pisco, pick it up. It's in limited markets right now. I think it's in California. Um, it's in Nevada, uh, I believe Arizona. And so it's gradually working its way. We're hoping to get it in Detroit so we can make some Pisco Sours with it at our restaurant Highlands uh, at, at the Rensen. I don't know if you have any viewers from the Detroit area, but if you do, stop by Highlands at the Renaissance Center and... Uh, have a have a drink up at high bar yeah i don't know maybe we'll find them now <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good that is really that's amazing i i like this a drink a lot I, I do i agree with you i think there's an unlimited opportunity with this type of um product and drink that is really underrepresented yeah and like i said you you have drinks classic drinks like the pisco Punch that was made famous by Duncan Nichols in San Francisco of all places because ships were coming over with Pisco from Peru for the gold rush docking in San Francisco. So San Francisco was one of the biggest markets prior to prohibition of Peruvian Pisco. And Duncan Nichols, famous bartender at the bank saloon, created the uh, Pisco Punch and limited customers to two. And there was a secret ingredient that no one really knows for sure because he died with the recipe during Prohibition. Um, but they think it might have been cocoa leaves uh, because... That would make total sense. Yeah, that would be secret ingredient. I mean, make it... That would be... <laughs> understand the two-drink limit. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a, a Chilcano, again, with Pisco, with bitters and if you can get the aromatic bitters from Peru all the better and then ginger ale or ginger beer and a squeeze of lime so kind of a riff on a Moscow mule type of drink yeah. delicious chilcano again simple I think the best drinks are the simplest 
Very yeah. rarely do you need six, seven, eight ingredients in a drink. It's kind of like food. Right. It be, there comes a point where you just start, things get lost. There's too much going on. Too yeah. Too much going on. Too much, I mean. Unless you can figure out how to layer it. <clears throat> um, and I think that's extremely difficult to do. Oh, that is so good. Again, I mean, really you have three ingredients. You have the lime, the simple, the pisco. The egg white is there for texture and for appearance okay. and to give you something to float those bitters on. Um, because again, the bitters now, you get the aromatics of it. And like you said, that just kind of little something that it comes from the Angostura. Delicious. Yeah. Well, it's color too. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's, again, I didn't see your hearts, but practice. That's the... The yeah. beautiful thing about making drinks, you know, you just uh, better with practice. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I shook it hard enough either. My coordination was it was kind of leaky, so I have to practice. I will definitely practice this one because it's really fun. <laughs> but you didn't, at least the shaker didn't stick this time, so. Yeah, that was brilliant. I wish I had that in my pocket when we had, we had, I don't know, it was a holiday party and I was making drinks and I was like, oh, I can't believe I got this stuck. Like three dudes trying to get it apart. It was embarrassing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so it's much as you have to set it properly to start with. You know, if you set it properly, yeah. then it makes it, but if you, if you jam it in there and it, it's jammed, it just, it's really hard to come apart. So. Yeah. So. In Vegas, you're with Mr. You're with the, at the Wynn Hotels, right? So are you, is he just basically like, you're put, making uh, menus for all his different concepts within the Wynn? Oh, no. I, I, I never worked at the Wynn. I apologize. When Steve Wynn opened the Bellagio in 1998. Okay, the Bellagio. Yeah. yeah. So I was with That's him. That's what I meant. Sorry. And, and I stayed at the Bellagio till 2004 when I started the Modern Mixologist. And okay. Um, today I'm a partner with Chef Sean McLean at Libertine Social inside Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay is part of MGM and MGM is the company that bought the Bellagio from Steve Wynn and then Steve Wynn opened Wynn and Encore. So that okay. kind of is a, a short history of, of my evolution in Las Vegas and today I do the drinks for T-Mobile Arena, which is where our Las Vegas Golden Knights play. Yeah, congratulations. They, boy, Dallas just, <laughs> I don't uh, know what happened in that last game. Our friends went and it was, it was on a holiday, so it was kind of disappointing. And shame on those Dallas fans for leaving early. I mean, your team had a okay. great season. You Thank got you to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, um, you, And it was so exciting in there at the start of the game. I don't think anybody saw that outcome, but, you know, stay and salute your team at the end. I mean, they, they, yeah. gave, you, they gave you a great season. Good season, yeah. And, and applaud them for that. I, I was disappointed to see that. But, uh, um, yeah, so game two today of the Stanley Cup Finals, I'll be going shortly uh, against the Florida Panthers. We look great in game one, making our special uh, Stanley Cup Finals drink tonight. It's called Liquid Gold. It's a riff on a margarita. Um, our friends at Dress to Drink made this shimmery gold syrup for us. So it's a oh, gold, gold sea salt on the rim, gold dehydrated lemon, 
gold straw and this gold. So it's all about the gold. So, uh, you know, the golden nights. And so it's so exciting here in Las Vegas right now, Jesse, with the, with the Stanley Cup. I bet. So for those of you that don't watch hockey or follow along, he's, he's talking about the colors of the, the team or gold and black. Yeah. So that's the focus on the the gold, which is really cool. Yeah. It's been really fun uh, doing the drinks there. And, um, you know, we theme them for the team. You know, our Golden Knight is a drink that's made with either Gold Bar whiskey or Jameson Irish whiskey. And, okay. and you know, it's it's one of our signature drinks, our Scratch Margarita. And we do everything fresh, uh, you know, so to do fresh drinks in an arena environment is pretty unique. Um, but everything fresh. So we're very proud of that. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll sell a ton of liquid gold margaritas tonight. Yeah, I hope so. Well, good luck. I think that's, uh, I, we're of course going to root for you guys. So <laughs> yeah. cheers yeah. to that. Yeah. Cheers to that. Gold, golden nights. Oh, that, and that drink just, I mean, it's just stays lovely. I mean, just yeah, I lovely. Love so are you putting this on a lot of your menus now? Uh, I always try to put a Pisco sour on every menu that I work on. Um, I've been okay. working with, a a group here called Echo and Rig. They just opened a new um, restaurant in Henderson. So I did the drink program and training, and we have this very same Pisco Sour on the menu there. We have a Pisco Sour on our menu at Libertine Social. Um, We had a Pisco Sour and probably will for the summer at Highlands. It's kind of a hard drink to do in an arena stadium environment because – you know, you really don't have the glassware and this drink just isn't the same served, you know, in a plastic highball glass. So, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, and every, like I said, Jesse, everywhere we put one on, it always becomes one of the best selling drinks. It's always a repeat order and someone will have one and they'll have three. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes there are drinks that you can only have like one or two, but I, I don't think that this is the case at all for this one. Yeah, and and like I said, it's it, the presentation is beautiful. It's not mm-hmm. a crazy difficult drink to make. It's easy to make consistently, and you know that's one of the big things in, in any restaurant bar environment, let alone something like um, I do the drinks for the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, also at Allegiant, where we'll do sixty four thousand guests. And we do fresh scratch margaritas there and we'll wow. make, you know, anywhere from seven to 10,000 of them in the course of a game. And that's to, insane. You know, <laughs> all fresh ingredients and premium tequila and, and to do that, that type of volume consistently uh, is, you know, that to me is where really the, the art of it lies. The Bloody Mary that we serve at the, well, I'm no longer there, but at Bellagio is the same Bloody Mary that we started with 25 years ago. So talk about a consistent experience replicated. So, you know, if you only go to the Bellagio once a year or once every three years and you love our Bloody Mary, you can be uh, certain it's going to be the same when you come back, which I'm very very proud of those things. Yeah, for sure. And um, when did the Pisco Sour become of interest for you or when did you really start kind of falling in love with it? Well, there's a brand called Barsoul out there and Diego who was launching it in the United States 
When we first opened Bellagio in 1998, I put together a menu I called Latino Libations. And it had a daiquiri, it had a mojito, it had a caipirinha, um, and it had a pisco sour. And at that time in Las Vegas, just to show you the growth, the only pisco I could get was a Chilean pisco, and there was only one to choose from. So that was what I used in the pisco sour originally. Years later, and when I say years, it was 2001, I believe, um, Diego hosted a luncheon with the United States Bartenders Guild, which I helped form with Francesco LaFranconi, the second chapter in the United States. Okay. Now there's awesome. over 60 chapters. I'm very proud of that. Yeah, um, for sure. And he introduced Absolutely. Peruvian Pisco, he, you know, Barsol. And, and I remember vividly him saying, you know, Tony, our goal is to build a category, not a brand. Um, because at that time, nobody knew anything about Pisco, me being one of them. And, you know, with Diego, we drank Pisco straight. We drank Pisco sours. And I was like, we got to do something with this. So I called Steve Mathis over at Southern Wine and Spirits. I said, I'll bring it into Bellagio if you bring it into Southern. And he said, okay, but we're not going to spend much time trying to sell this stuff. I said, we'll do our, our part. And, you know, that was kind of how it started in Las Vegas. And it's since grown. I think I saw a stat from 2010 to 2014 Pisco sales in the United States, which is the second largest market, just to show you how small it is, um, doubled. So there's definitely getting some traction. Traction. Yeah. Any of your listeners, search out a Pisco. It's it's just it's beautiful 100%. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, Total has I think three or four of them. I yeah, that would be the the biggest national chain that I would know for. for it's really people, amazing but... the selection of spirits available to us today. Um, uh, it's so exciting. It's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, it's just discovering new stuff that, and, and a lot of it's been around for, for, for forever. A lot of it has been around forever. Um, but really it's been, like I said, since, well, when we opened Harry Denton's on Stewart street in 1991, I mentioned, you know, you didn't get a cocktail menu when you went to a, a nice bar or restaurant, but David O'Malley who was the general manager hired a bar team for that place that still to this day has been the best bar team I've ever been proud enough to work with. And we are still all awesome. friends to this day. We still oh, get together cool. and it, it is so cool. I mean, all of my, you know, real close friends came from this industry. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think about 1991, I mean, that was a few years ago. And this fact that right. we're still in contact, we still get together for reunions. They were just oh, all out. Great. Yes, it, it's just it's so special, and it, it's it's one of. I often say, Jess, that working this profession, I've never been rich, but I've lived richly, and you know, right. friendships to me are probably the, are much more important than financial success. Uh, but hundred percent. David put together this placemat, and on this placemat, he had four classic cocktails. He had a sidecar, which really wasn't that well known then. He had an old fashioned, he had a Tom Collins and he had this thing called a Negroni. I'm like, Oh yes. What the heck's a Negroni? 1991, you know, Kapari gin, sweet vermouth said, 
I tried Kapari once, I spit it out. I said, there's got to be something wrong with this stuff, you know? <laughs> it's now, definitely a different flavor. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's an acquired taste. And the Negroni is, they, they say that even Italians have to try a Negroni three times before you fall in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, I, I stuck with it, you know, because the first time I tasted it, I was like, I think there's something wrong with this drink, <laughs> you know, um, because we don't have, you know, a natural. Those flavors. Flavor, yeah. a, bitter, a bitterness. We react mm -hmm. to bitterness. But like I said, I stuck with it and it, it has become my favorite drink. But, you know, that was that was that team in 1991, my first time trying a Negroni when you probably weren't drinking in 1991, but nobody knew what a Negroni was. I would go out after that, you know, I'd go to a bar, try to order a Negroni, and they'd say, oh, dude, we just ran out. Ran out? Um, or, no, we don't have Negroni, but we have Peroni. You want a Peroni? I said, it's not a beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so similar. <laughs> there is an Italian connection, but, um, and then all of a sudden, so I stuck with it, though. I mean, one time I ordered a Negroni, and the young lady got all excited behind the bar. I said, oh, yeah, I w I'll get you a Negroni. So I turned back to the conversation I'm having, and when I turned back to face the bar, there sat a Negro Medella in front of me. I was like, okay, they both start with N, I guess, so I'll drink this beer. <laughs> but, you know, I I'll never, you know. That's funny. And then when we opened Bellagio in 1998, I got up in front of 300 bartenders and I said, how many people know what a Negroni is? And I think one hand might have hesitantly raised halfway. And I said, wow. if there's one drink that you're going to master, because it's my favorite and I want to drink it at all your bars, it's the Negroni. So that was kind of the tipping point, I think, on bartenders starting to embrace the Negroni. You know, when you can present something like that to 300 bartenders who work in a, right. an establishment that sells 25,000 drinks a day, and they start turning people on to the Negroni, you know, it slowly but surely starts to build. And I remember it was the Christmas party of the USBG 2003, and I walked into the party, and everybody was holding a Negroni. And I was like, yes. Oh, you it's, made it's, it. It's on its you way, it. you know? Yay. <laughs> I love that story. That is super, super awesome. I, I think we're living in some amazing times right now with the growth of all these different cocktails, and it certainly wouldn't have been where we are today without you. I mean, a legend in our business and your teams. And so thank you for all that you brought to um, to our industry. And, and And, you know, you guys were... You guys are cutting edge. You know, you were mentioned that you're still friends with these people that, you know, but it was a tipping point in our industry, right? So you grew into it together. It's pretty cool. I, I, like I said, I feel very blessed. Right place, right time, right story, right passion. Um, I, it was nothing I, there was no script for it. There was nothing, a game plan in place. Uh, I was just doing, you know, what I love doing and, I was lucky enough, like I said, to be in the right place and um, right background and right drive and passion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was working with 300 bartenders when we opened Bellagio. Was, I had it's no huge. idea. It was huge. It was, I, I can't even imagine trying to manage that. It's really overwhelming. Well, the greatest compliment I think I ever received was from an older bartender who had been a union bartender 
40 years in Las Vegas. And he came up to me and, and he said, you know, Tony, you have given us back our profession. Yes. And I was like, wow, that I get goosebumps still. You 100%. Know, and it was just such a beautiful moment um, and so sincere. But I mean, I don't know about you, but my Pisco Sour is done and I've got the fixings here to make a Negroni. Um, well, let's do it. Shall we? <laughs> let's, shall we? I don't, you know, I want to show off my hand blown uh, mixing that is beaker. Beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I've started to see those at bars. Um, it's really, it's really cool. We um, talking about your profession and everything uh, while we're getting set up here. Um, I went and had a drink with a, some colleague, a colleague of mine, and there was one bartender behind the bar for the entire restaurant, and I couldn't stop watching him. I just, I can't believe that. I just can't believe the 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 speed, the, the how precise it is, and and how they can, you know, just keep up with all the different because it's. You're stirring, you're shaking. You know, I mean, it's it's an it's an amazing art. I I, I really respect it a lot. I'm completely obsessed with learning it now. <laughs> it's really cool. It 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 really it is amazing to watch. Um, I had a similar. My dear friend Nick Tali Mendoza, who owns Cleaver and Herbs and Rye, I went by and I was sitting at the bar, and the gentleman behind the bar uh, I'd met once before. And I just, I was mesmerized sitting there in front of him, watching him make drink after drink after drink after drink. And I, I said to him, I said, you remind me of a younger me um, because I used to go into work and it was, it was kind of like you would, you were going into a sporting event. You'd get into the locker room, you'd put on your uniform, you'd get behind the bar, you'd gear up and you'd just be going a million miles an hour, but every movement had a purpose. There were no missteps. There were no, no lost energy. Everything had a purpose. And then purpose. Yeah. you pair that with a great bar back who foresees your needs and sees that you're going to need another bottle of Tito's. And before you do, it's there. I mean, just, it's an orchestra back there. It's, it's really yeah, it's a ballet to watch and you don't need to be flipping and juggling bottles to, I mean, <laughs> it's just that, Only on movies. <laughs> that precision that, it's it's such an it is a beautiful art. Um, yeah, I really uh, respect it a lot. Beautiful. Well, I, I've got a bottle of Forged Gin here, which okay. Forged Gin this year. Um, I don't know our friend Simon Ford, who was one of the great ambassadors to the profession for years and years, and um, you know worked with Absolute for years. Uh, big gin guy. Um, he, he's the brainchild behind Ford's Gin. Brown Foreman now uh, owns the brand along with Simon. And this year at the Tag Global Spirits Awards, as you could see, was the best of show gin. So That's fantastic. Just a it's a good gin. It's a great gin, great gin and tonic gin, great martini gin. And as we find out, a great Negroni gin. Um, okay. So... Again, this is a spirit-only drink, so we don't want to shake it. We don't want to froth this up. Um, we want it to be silky and satiny and sexy, so we're going to stir this. Okay. I'm a, I'm a believer of the original 111 recipe, so equal parts gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth. So I just one ounce of each. Some people like to go up on the gin. Um, you know, I find... If, if you like that for your personal preference, 
by all means, um, when you're making drinks for the masses, unless a guest asks for heavier gin, then we should follow the classic recipes. Uh, right. And this recipe is around one one one. So one one. Okay. All right. One ounce gin, one ounce Campari, and this is, to the best of my research, the original 1919 recipe, and then one ounce of sweet vermouth, and you keep your vermouth in the refrigerator, right, Jess? I just got it this morning, so I've, I don't know, is that what I'm supposed to do? Yes. Vermouth is aromatized wine. So you want to treat it like wine, not like a spirit. So once you open it, store it in the refrigerator and, and try to use it within six weeks because okay. it will start to gradually oxidize and break down. All right. So. Hey, now, Tony, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. About Ford's Gen? Yeah. Don't you think that Ford's Gen was the brand that really kind of got gin? revitalized because wasn't it the bartender's choice of gin for maybe it still is well i always say brands are built across the bar so if you can influence the bartender the bartender will be your best friend um, if you can get a bartender behind your brand and simon ford really has had a bond with the bartending community from the beginning so okay. it, it was a real easy for Simon to connect with the bartending community. He also designed the bottle so that after the gin's gone, you could use it for juices, um, syrups, things like this. And, and I mean, the design of it is very bartender friendly in the well. It fits in the okay. speed well. I don't know if you see this, but he's put measurements on the bottle. So if you're blending different things you can measure on the bottle itself which is brilliant um that is super cool speed pour fits beautifully in the bottle so it really is a bartender friendly bottle but also reusable so it's you know we're all thinking about how we can do better for the environment the environment yeah but, absolutely yeah jess i think he really uh got the bartenders on his side i would also say that charlotte Voicy with Hendrix Gin did a lot. Yeah, she really did a lot for that brand and for gin in general. And she's, again, another bartender from London. I met Charlotte. We did an event together years ago in Aspen Food and Wine and have been dear friends ever since. And I believe tomorrow is actually Charlotte's birthday. So here's oh, a wishing awesome. Charlotte Boise a happy birthday. Uh, you know, again, isn't it nice, though, when bartenders instead of celebrities – get involved with brands, you know, and really, I love it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, celebrities should just stick to being celebrities and act or sing right. or whatever they've done to make millions and millions of dollars. We've got enough great people making uh, spirits and working in the spirit industry. Just my humble opinion. Um, all right. So now do uh, you have one of these beautiful two by two crystal clear ice cubes. No. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, I do. I do. I think I do. One second. Anyway. All right. While you're gone, Jess, I'll just talk about making clear ice, especially at home. Um, 
when you get ice that's crystal clear in a restaurant, it's probably made in a Kleinbell machine, which are those machines that make those huge 300-pound blocks of crystal clear ice that fool Mother Nature. But at home, you need to have uh, some type of a mold that has two compartments. So I'm sorry, I don't have it. It's called, I don't have it. I was just explaining to everyone just directional freezing. Much like Mother Nature, when she freezes a lake, she freezes it from the top down. So all the sediment and oxygen, air, really is what makes ice cloudy because there's no place in a mold for that air to go. So it freezes oh. within the ice. But in directional freezing, it keeps getting pushed down to the bottom. So on top, you would get crystal clear ice. And once you've changed your ice game, it's tough to go back to that stuff your freezer makes. All right. A hundred percent. I didn't know about that with the oxygen. Okay, so now using that hard inch by inch cubes, hard, dry, cold ice, we'll just add that to our mixing beaker. Uh, okay. And we want to, I asked my cousin Helen once, uh, this is the modern mixologist 24 degree bar spoon. Mm -hmm. This is a little trick I learned from Dale DeGroff. We spent three years together doing finishing school for Finlandia Vodka. We did 20... Well, no, we did 42 markets in six countries. And before every uh, presentation, I watched Dale bend his bar spoon, you know, those cheap bar spoons. Oh. That, and I asked him finally, I said, I said, Dale, why do you bend your bar spoon? He said, then when the tip of the spoon is in the middle of the glass, the top of the spoon is at the middle of the glass. And I was like, that is brilliant. So I incorporated that into my bar spoon with the 24 degree angle with the blunt end that measures one teaspoon. So if you start on the side, the middle goes, the spoon goes to the middle of the glass, and then it's just that simple push-pull motion. Let me see your stirring technique over there, Jess. No, no, no. <laughs> Remember, it's not chicken, chicken noodle soup. It's an elegant- I have one of those. <laughs> oh, all right. I am definitely sending you a set of bar tools. <laughs> I feel Terrible. <laughs> I'm not doing uh, this. And show it. everyone that beautiful cloudy ice that you've got from your freezer. Yes. It's, yes, it's white, ice. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's not your fault. Hold That's on. just the air. Oh. Horrible. You, I, I mean, it's a good thing you're not doing this live on a podcast or anything. It looks just like mine. I mean, you're. <laughs> All right. Uh, now. We also, in our line of tools, have a, a beautiful julep strainer. Uh, again, every tool is meant to work together. So we're just going to strain that over that cube. And all Campari drinks, and especially the Negroni, love orange. So I'm going to go ahead and make a, a little, let's see if I can, I don't know what happened to my camera here. I had I to, see it. You see it now? Yeah. Using a peeler, I'm going to go ahead and just peel a nice big swath of orange peel. And I could go ahead and drop it in there just like that. But I've got okay. these thinking. Again, visual. You want to look at God is in the details and so are beautiful cocktails. So all the things we talked about. So these are just plinking shears. And all you got to do is just kind of trim up the edge with the plinking sh shears, and you get this oh. really cool little design on the side. 
only takes a second. See that? Mm -hmm. And then we just want to express the oils. The oils become an ingredient in the drink. And the orange oils with the Campari and the gin, just uh, so express that right over the top. And I can see them okay. dancing on that beautiful ice cube. And then you have that gorgeous swath of orange peel. Jess, as Helen would say, happiness. Yes, happiness in a glass. Oh. Yummy. That's a technical bartending word. Yummy. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I can't agree more. Delish. Yeah, it's really yummy. I, you know what? I've never had one of these. This is your first Negroni. It's my first Negroni. Ah, I am it's pretty so... cool that I'm having it with you. Yes, <laughs> I am flattered beyond belief. Yeah, no, this is really cool. It's very special for me too. <laughs> you always remember your first, Jess. Yep. I will definitely not forget this one. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. This has been great. This has been this wonderful. This is so fun. We could go, so, go and go and go. I know. I, are we out of town time? Because I was going to just see if you wanted to sum up a little bit about the TAG Awards and how that came to be. I'd, since it's kind of, you know, about innovation. I'd love to talk a little bit about the TAG Global Spirits Awards. Um, I sat as a judge in San Francisco for 21 years, the last okay. 11 of those as head judge and director of judging. And I always wanted it to be more consumer facing. I wanted to get the end user, the enthusiast involved. Um, San Francisco is a fantastic competition. I was very proud of my time there and the commitment. But myself and two other judges, David Grapshe uh, and Julio Bermejo, uh, we formed the Tag Global Spirits Awards just over three years uh, ago. Obviously, bad timing with COVID, but we've hosted the 22 and 23 Tag Global Spirits Awards here in Las Vegas at the lovely Delano. And we've done a lot okay. of consumer events. So we do educational tracks, we do tastings, we do dinners. And the thing that I'm probably the most proud of, of is the Pink Tie Party. And that's at the end of the Tag Global Spirits Awards. It's open to everyone who wants to come uh, and support the Helen David Relief Fund and the USBG. So the Pink Tide, all the proceeds go to the Helen David Relief Fund, again, benefiting bartenders going through cancer treatment. And we feature some of the city and the country's finest bartenders and our supplier partners, brands. It's just a beautiful evening. The last two years have been at Skyfall on top of the Delano. Um, which is just a beautiful room overlooking the Las Vegas Strip. And last year, the Luxor, for the first time ever, put all their lights on in pink to celebrate. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I yeah, love that. It was really cool. So this year, it's uh, the first weekend of March. Any Anyone who's going to be here, we, we kick things off with um, the welcome reception at Libertine Social. We take over the whole place. All the best of shows are going to be there featuring their products, um, drinks, cocktails, spirit tasting, great food from Chef Sean McLean, entertainment. Um, we go in then to uh, the judges' dinner, which will be held at Cleaver, hosted by Nick Tali Mendoza. Um, we'll have throughout the year spirited dinners, um, both here in Las Vegas and around the country. 
educational tracks, tastings, all kinds of things to you know promote those that enter the competition. So if you're a brand out there, I'd love to get you involved with the Tag Global Spirits Awards. If oh, you're an sure. enthusiast, and Jess, I pass the invitation on to you. I hope you'll come out. Maybe we oh, can I do need a, to get there. I need to go next year for sure, 100%. A Thursday Thursdays from Las Vegas, the Tag Global Spirits Awards. Yes. <laughs> yes, we'll have to do something maybe live or or record something fun from there because, I mean, it's innovation. It's the, the heart and soul of what we're doing, you know? Oh, thank you. It's fun. Very yeah. proud of it. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Um, you're, you're a busy guy, Tony. Well, I, I often I say, Jeff, I, I wouldn't work this hard at a job. You know, it's it, it stopped being a work a long, long time ago, and it's just a it's a – Passion is something I love to do, and what makes it really special are the people. So as long as I'm able, I'll keep mixing. Thank goodness. <laughs> Maybe you can make me one of these for real. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure yours is a lot better than mine. <laughs> well, I again, simple drink, but attention to the details, right? So, mm -hmm. so I will. Just like, you, just like with the you know, bitters, just a little bit, just kind of changes the whole um, you know, the profile of the drink. It just adds another layer of complexity. Yeah. But I, I, I will say this one's pretty good. <laughs> As you can see, I'm enjoying it immensely. Uh-huh. So how many do you think you've served in your lifetime? <laughs> <You're> made. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, uh, more than a few. Um, but I, <laughs> I think the thing that, you know, I, I'm most proud of, is the number of people I introduced to the Negroni. And a lot of people will tell me when we talk about the Negroni or, or, or even just in general, it's like, he introduced me to the Negroni because I really was a man on a mission because I wanted this drink to, to be, come popular enough that I could go virtually to any bar and order one and have a well-made Negroni. So um, I, I don't know, maybe I played a small part in the Negroni's popularity today. But selfishly, selfishly, I've benefited 100%. as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting, too, that you took to something that was, you know, meant something to you and you really got behind it. Kind of like what you're doing with Pisco now, which is great. Well, here's to our next Pisco Sour. Yes, for sure. Cheers. <laughs> All right. Well. I want to thank you for having me on the show, Jess. This has been great. Can I make a little toast? Just a kind yes, of. Please. Um, it goes like this. That. In the presence of a well-made Negroni, taunt <laughs> nerves relax, taunt muscles relax, eyes brighten, friendships deepen, and the whole world becomes a better place in which to live. Happiness. I love it. <laughs> yes, happiness. Yummy happiness. <laughs> I love that toast, be, and I love the word happiness because Helen would always toast her family, friends, customers, loved ones with that one simple word, happiness. And I think it really sums it up. So I've continued to uh, keep that toast going in her memory. So uh, that's really cool. Happiness. So that was one that you 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 made that you made that up, and you say that often, huh? The toast. The to toast, cool. the toast um, but happiness is all Helen. <laughs> all Helen, yeah. Well, she sounds like a great lady. She was. She was a 
like I said, a great, my first mentor and inspiration and continues to this day to inspire me to get on my bike and give back. Cause she always said, you know, it's better to give than to take and you'll be remembered for what you leave behind. Um, so she has been a great inspiration in my life, my career, my profession, and just my personal development. So, uh, here's to Helen. Yeah, here's to Helen. Cheers to Helen. Well, I hope you'll have me back on again. We got a lot more I, to talk about. I know. I feel like we just scratched the surface, but I think it was important that we did the cocktails. That was that was really fun, and I'm I, I apologize for. <laughs> I need to up my game over here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's not my. It, I'm definitely I'm not a skilled bartender. <laughs> well. Look for a care package from me with a box of uh, modern mixologist bar tools, and that'll be the okay. first start to making you a skilled bartender. Okay, well, I appreciate that. That's very sweet of you. My pleasure. <laughs> It'll help, I'm sure, for sure. All right, well, how do people get um, in touch with you or reach your website for the book or any of the bar tools? Yeah, no, absolutely. Any information on the TAG Global Spirits Awards is tagspiritsawards.com for okay. the modern mixologist um, and the modern mixologist bar tools. It's just the modern mixologist.com. Um, and okay. if you want to tune in to talk shop live, I do a live show the first Sunday of every month. We'll be back. It's not technically the first Sunday in July, but July 9th, we'll be talking about rum and rum based cocktails. So that's on Talk Shop Live Network. So you can follow me there. MDRN Mixologist is my Instagram. And if you come to Las Vegas, come by Libertine Social and we'll share a Negroni. We'll share a Negroni. Nice. I love it. Okay. That's really cool. Well, I appreciate this, Tony. Um, it's an honor to, to have you. I can't, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with me this morning. Uh, it's so. been a pleasure. Pleasure is mine, Jeff. Can't, and we'll see you soon. Can't wait to meet you. All okay, right. sounds good. Alrighty. Bye. Bye bye. Next Thursday, I'm speaking with Seth Benhaim, the founder and chief executive officer of Broken Barrel Whiskey. Seth is an innovator at his core. He's the quarterback of two very successful brands. The first, Infused Spirits Group, was the world's first single bottle infusion company. He infuses real fruits and spices in each bottle. Less than two years later, the, at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, the brand won double gold and best in show. Seth was only 25 and was the youngest CEO to earn that award. In 2015, he won the Entrepreneur of the Year at the nightclub and bar show. His real fruit infusions have won several awards, including a 90-point rating in the Wine Enthusiast magazine. He then turned to the world of whiskey, where he broke more barriers by adding multiple barrel types of all finishing age bourbon in tandem with aging the liquid in barrels. It took time to find the right partner to see his vision, but neither have ever looked back. It started out being distilled and sourced from Owensboro Distilling Company by eighth generation master distiller Jacob Call, using 100% Kentucky corn sourced from local farmers. The core four items range from $40 to $55, and the LTOs have sold for $120. We tasted four different SKUs on the podcast, and cast strength, the only SKU priced at $55, was truly an amazing experience from nose to finish. 
Whiskey Magazine's Icon of Whiskey America 2023 awarded Cast Drink Brand Innovator winner and World Whiskey's Awards 2023 under the world's best finished bourbon category received the best Kentucky finished bourbon. It has also received 94 points from the Tasting Panel Magazine. Seth and his team have really broken many barriers in our industry and will continue to push the boundaries to find the next great spirit. Tune in next Thursday and have a great week. This episode was produced by Fedora J Productions.